Well, good morning, Autumn Ridge. My name is Caleb Smith. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you are here with us this morning in the room, and welcome to those of you joining us online as well. We're in a series this summer called Masterpiece, uh, and it's the opportunity for us to really get a feel for what it is for us to be called God's workmanship, to be called his handiwork, his masterpiece. Uh, and so for a number of weeks over the summer, we'll be looking at the actual uh, or, or some values and things that we are to emulate as a part of our pursuit of a discipleship with Jesus. And, uh, and so we're going to be taking this out of Ephesians. But our kind of our, our, our thesis for this series is that we are God's work. We are good works of art created to do the art of good works. And we're going to get a little bit into what are good works here in just a few minutes. Uh, but I want to call our attention to our passages that we're using as our guidelines, as those boundaries for us as we go through this series. It's out of Ephesians chapter 2, begins there. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. The salvation you have, it is a gift. And it is literally so that none of us can look at each other and go, Well, I've done more than you've done, so I should get more righteousness or more grace than you. No, it's, we all have been able to receive this as a gift, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. The New International Version, that's the version that we tend to use around here, it uses the word handiwork. There's some other English translations that use, uses the word masterpiece. But it is the idea that we have been specially created by God, knit together like a fabric. That we are a work of art. We are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is where I want to take just a second and talk a little bit about good works. Because I do think at times there are phrases that we may see in Scripture and, and in American Christianity, we can tend to actually over-spiritualize these phrases. Good works is one of those phrases. And for whatever reason, we, we kind of conjure up in our minds that, that as we pursue good works, that good works are something that are separate from the normal life that we have, that they are moments or supernatural moments that God brings into our life and, and we are to engage in those moments. And if we don't, then we've missed our opportunity to engage in good works. But I think that actually kind of misses the literal point of what Paul is trying to communicate here. The word that he uses for works here is the word toil. It is the word labor. It, is, it is literally means that we are to do the work that is put in front of us on a daily basis. And it's not that those works are good works. It's that we are to work well as we do those things. So I think there's a sense here of no matter what you do, whether you are a nurse, whether you're a physician, whether you're a teacher, whether you're in full-time vocational ministry, whatever it is that you do to earn a living, as you engage with friends, as you engage in your neighborhood and in your community, that those are the works that are put before you and you are simply to do those things well. And so he has created in Christ Jesus to do these good works, to do these works well, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the question can kind of be begged from this of, all right, so how do we, how do, we do that? How, how, how is it that we step into doing our work 
well. And what are the things that we're supposed to emulate as we do that? Now, we've connected this from Ephesians chapter 2, not just we, but uh, Paul connects these from chapter 2 to Ephesians chapter 4, and he kind of lays out some things. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Again, I think we over-spiritualize this idea of calling as if if there is this other special thing that God is going to bring into our life at some point or that we're supposed to wait around and, and kind of wait patiently for the calling of Christ on our life. But the, the calling that he's given us is, as we saw in chapter 2, is to do our work well and, as disciples of Jesus, is to be Christ-like. That's the calling that we have received. And so as we live a life worthy of this calling we have received, be completely, like in total, all together. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so there are a number of Sundays as we move through the summer where we're going to hit on each of these little topics individually. We're going to kind of play out what does it look like for us to actually be humble, to be gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Uh, And so this morning, uh, you all have the extremely fortunate opportunity to be in this place and to be taught by me as we talk about humility. (laughs) Figure there's not a better way to start on talking about humility than to humiliate myself a little bit. Not sure whether it is the... uh, P-O-W-esque physique that I was carrying when I was 14 years old. Or maybe it's hard to see, but the the little bit of the mustache that's starting to grow there. For any 14-year-old boys in the room, if you're starting that mustache, who knows, you may end up with an awesome beard one day. And no, it is not Photoshopped. It is real. You're not reading it wrong. That jersey says, hot dogs. I grew up uh, in a small, well, small, 15,000 people, farming town, north central Indiana. One middle school and one high school in that town. Our mascot was hot dogs. Not the literal hot dog, but they tried to make it look like a fierce dachshund. It was more like a dachshund with rabies. (laughs) The town's name, Frankfurt. That's right, the Frankfurt hot dogs. (laughs) And it's completely fine if you want to take the rest of the service today and tune me out and just start looking over the internet for everything that is Frankfurt hot dogs. It is a rabbit hole that is very hard to dig out of. But it kind of brings me back to this point of like, what is humility? What does humility actually look like? Like, how do we... 
how do we teach about the practical things of what it means to be humble and, and to be able to tell all of us, here are the things that if you do these things, if you, if you do these acts, then you are humble and everyone will see you as humble. Because we could spend a lot of time actually going over words like, like self-esteem or confidence or being proud of the skills and abilities that we have and how we've practiced those in our lives. And trying to understand the line between being proud and being confident and having good self-esteem and the line between those and the sin of pride or being arrogant. We could spend a lot of time in that space, but, but that's not the topic for today. The topic for today is humility. The Bible doesn't actually give us a word-by-word definition of what humility is. Because when I tried to do that, I kind of experienced going through my brain like this. Be humble. It basically means that, well, that leads to humbleability. Because when you're humble, it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily. When you're humble, it helps to be like, I've heard of it before, but I'm not exactly sure what it means because I learned what it was in Sunday school one time, a long time ago, but I don't remember what it means now. I know I heard about it a long time ago in Sunday school too. What does it mean? How are we to be humble? And so instead of trying to show us these things that we are to do, instead, I want to highlight the approach that Jesus brought, the example that he was, and to challenge us to look within ourselves, because humility is actually completely subjective, I can, out of the goodness of my heart, mind, and spirit, I can know that I'm engaging in an act out of all humility. But anybody else can look at that and decide that I'm not engaging in humility and that they think I'm doing it out of arrogance or out of self-serving. And so is humility about what other people see or is it about the approach that I take? So I'm going to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, there's some Bibles and some seatbacks. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home with you. It is our gift. Or if you've got a friend you know that needs a Bible, take that for them. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And as you turn there, uh, I want to set the stage a little bit because understanding the verses that come before this is also important. Paul has just done his opening of this letter to the church of Philippi. And in the verses leading up to chapter 2, at the end of chapter 1, he talks a little bit about, hey, look, I know that you are actually suffering. You're suffering spiritually, emotionally, and physically out of persecution for your faith. You're suffering just as I, Paul, have suffered and am suffering now. That's... That gives us the picture of why he starts with therefore. He says, because you're sharing in this same suffering that I've experienced, therefore, 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. He's writing this to a people who are being persecuted, who are suffering for their faith. And he tells them, in all humility, value others above yourselves. Rick Warren just retired as pastor of Saddleback Community Church, and Rick Warren put it this way, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it's just simply thinking of ourselves less. Humility is thinking of others more. It's a time and an energy idea. Look not just to the interest of yourself, but each of you to the interest of the others. And so in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So here we go. What was that mindset? Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. If you want a practical example, here's one. Whatever you have, Whatever your life has in it, whatever the context of your life is, emulating the humility of Jesus means that we do not use what we have to our own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing and took on human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, was physically born, physically lived a life, physically breathed, physically slept, physically ate food and drank water, physically got tired, physically served other people, physically prayed. And he was obedient to death. But it, not just a death, of, a death from an illness or there was some accident and he died from that accident. No, he, he was obedient to death, even death on a cross, which is extremely crucial because a cross was a place where only criminals died. He didn't just die, he was executed. And in doing so, because he was perfect, because he was tempted in every way but did not sin, he was the spotless, blameless sacrifice once and for all so that all of us are able to come to the Father. Now that seems like a tall order, right? Because you and I are not perfect. We have our limitations. We have the things that can trip us up in life. And so what maybe is a way that we, as the creations of the creator, that we are supposed to approach this? 
So I'd encourage you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 18. The gospel according to Luke, Luke was a physician. He was not a disciple, but he hung out with the disciples, took down all of their stories, probably as a physician, as as many of you in this room are in the medical field. He was a researcher. He was detail-oriented. And Luke found it important for us to hear this story. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable. But again, it's important for us to know the setting. And so he's with a group of people. There's people gathered around, both people who are followers of Jesus and people who are not religious leaders who are trying to figure out who this guy is who's going around teaching and healing. And the verses preceding this, Jesus has just told a different parable. But in that parable, he says, so when the Son of Man comes... He will come to judge, but when he comes, will he find anyone who has faith? And all of a sudden, there's people who are there who begin to have this thought. We see this in this first verse. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So as Jesus asks that question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find anyone who has enough faith? There are people who immediately go, yeah, right here, I've got enough faith. Because these are all of the things that I've done in my life. I followed all of these laws. I've done all of these things right. I have pleased God in all of these ways and in all of these acts that I have performed. And so I have enough faith. And, and actually, it's not just that I have enough faith, but I have more faith than these people over here for sure. There's no doubt about it. I mean, look at them. They definitely have not done as much as I have. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus tells this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. One, someone who was a religious leader of the day who followed all of the laws and would have to follow all the laws or they would not be a Pharisee anymore. And another person who was a tax collector, a Jew who was seen as a betrayer of his own people because he then worked for the Romans to take money and taxes from the Jews and then would use that money that he took from them to live his own life. Seen as a robber and a betrayer. Jesus continues, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all of I get. Thank you for making me who I am and how I am and not making me like these other people. This is a direct opposition to some Pharisees of the day who literally had written down prayers for the Jews to pray about how they were to be thankful that they were created the way they were and that they were not created like other sinners. And Jesus is putting this on one side of the spectrum. Thank you that I am not like these other people. Not only am I not like them, but these are the things that I do that make you happy. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast 
and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is telling us that the words and the example of both of these individuals in this story is not just the way that we are to approach as if, if, we just, if we just say these things and God, we'll be able to fool God. Like, I may think that I'm a really good person, but if I just tell him I'm a sinner, then I'll fake him out. Now, Jesus is saying, these things come from what we are on the inside. Last week, Pastor Rick was very clear in showing us that salvation is not from within. Salvation, it comes to us from the outside. Salvation is from the outside in. But then when we believe and we accept this free gift, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of our hearts and the Holy Spirit then turns around and begins to work on us from the inside out. And the things that we say and the ways in which we act are examples and representations of who we actually are. So what is humility? Humility is about what our minds and our hearts and our spirits are bringing. It is about our approach. But I do think that there are a few things for us to remember that should be the foundation of humility. They should be the things that we acknowledge, if not on a daily basis, at least on a regular basis, because it, it also helps our minds get in the, get in the space of, of this approach of humility. So a short list on some foundations of humility. First, remembering that we have sinned. This is some churchy words and phrases here, but it's remembering that we have wronged others, we've wronged ourselves, and that most importantly, we've, we've wronged our creator. We have sinned. And because of that, there is a gap and a distance that we cannot overcome, that we cannot, as we've seen from our scripture passages today so far, we cannot do anything to bridge that gap on our own. We have to remember that we have sinned. Second, we have to acknowledge that our worst decision could be in front of us and not behind us. Because if if I can call something out, I I mean, I, I think it would be pretty arrogant for any of us to think, you know what, I did all of those things wrong in my past and I'll never do anything like that again. Humility is saying, I'm still a broken person, and I still need Jesus on a daily basis, and I still need the Holy Spirit working inside of me from the inside out. Our worst decision could be in front of us and not behind us. We have to accept as forgiveness and grace that we did not initiate 
or earn salvation. We didn't start the process. We didn't seek out God. When I say we, talking about just us as a human race, us as the creations, we didn't seek him out. He sought out us. He came to us. The son, Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be taken, used to his own advantage. And so he made himself nothing, becoming like a servant, taking on human likeness. Let's accept as grace and forgiveness that we did not initiate or earn our salvation. Fourth, we need to realize that we will probably be surprised by who is in heaven and who is not. Like, just to be clear, just because you're here in this space doesn't mean that these are the people who are going to be in heaven and anybody who's not in this room will not. Autumn Ridge Church has not cornered the market on the gospel. There are thousands of believers in Jesus around this city. They worship in a variety of other churches. There are millions Millions of other believers around this world. And they definitely don't worship in the same style and way in which we worship. But if they believe in what the scriptures say, if they believe that Jesus was physically born, that he died, that he was Emmanuel, God with us, that he rose from the dead, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him, then they are our brothers and sisters. And though we might not feel comfortable worshiping in the way that they worship, it does not mean that they are any less than we are. And so my guess is we will be surprised by who is in heaven and who is not. Finally, we need to daily seek to learn from Jesus the perfect example of humility. Daily seek to learn. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. Daily seek him whether it is through reading of, your, of the scriptures, whether it is through prayer, whether it is through the practice of just putting yourself in the right space as you start your day. Father, I know that I'm not perfect, but I desire to emulate the humility of Jesus as I go through all of my interactions, as I engage in the good works of this day, as I engage in working well. May I seek you. And then allowing for the Holy Spirit to give us the promptings, to give us the words, to give us the actions of how we can demonstrate that. One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was an atheist scholar before he became a believer. Some of you may know the books, The Chronicles of Narnia. He also was a great theologian. 
And there's a passage out of mere Christianity that I'd like to read for us. C.S. Lewis writes this. The point is, Jesus wants you to know him. He wants to give you himself. And he and you are two things of such a kind that if you really get into any kind of touch with him, you will in fact be humble, delightedly humble, feeling the infinite relief of having for once got rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity, which has made you restless and unhappy all of your life. He is trying to make you humble in order to make this moment possible. Trying to take off a lot of silly, ugly, fancy dress in which we have all got ourselves up and are strutting about like the little idiots we are. It's my favorite line. I wish I had got a bit further with humility myself. If I had, I could probably tell you more about the relief, the comfort of taking the fancy dress off, getting rid of the false self with all of its look at me and aren't I a good person and all of its posing and posturing. But to get even near humility, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to someone in a desert. Jesus, for all of us, is that drink of cold water. But there's also the next step. What does it look like for us to bring that drink of cold water to others? What does it look like for us to be faithful to the good works that God has put in front of us? And so as we close this morning... I want to take us to one more passage of Scripture, and again, as it should be, it's an example from Jesus' life. We're going to be in John chapter 13. And in John chapter 13, Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples. This is a moment where he's in the upper room. This is the night that he is betrayed, arrested. He would be crucified hours later, and then he would rise from the dead. And there's some contextual things here for us uh, that we don't have a lot of time to get into, but, but even to the point of, of people wore sandals in those days, and they're walking around on dusty roads. And the washing of feet was just a normal habit and practice when you walked into someone's home. No one usually did it for you. You would do it yourself because it was definitely a messy, dirty affair. But John records for us. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power And that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so Jesus got up. He stood up on the dinner table and he called down thunder and fire and lightning. 
I, I mean, he could have. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What is the picture of humility that Jesus gives us as we are pursuing discipleship, as we are pursuing Christ-likeness? What does it look like to be humble? If humility is subjective, how do we do that well? Well, it is in serving others. It absolutely is carrying the idea that we need to think more often of others than of ourselves, that we need to prioritize other people's needs and desires above ours, that we are to point people to Jesus in the midst of serving, but it is also that it doesn't matter who it is that we're serving because Jesus bent down and washed the feet of a group of people who would not only run away over the next few hours, but one of them who was considered a close friend would deny he even knew him and another one was one who would betray him. And so my question to us about humility is, are we willing and ready to emulate the humility of Jesus where we will wash the feet of people who may betray us, of people who may turn their back on us, of people who may act in a very confusing way that feels emotionally harmful. The act of humility is not about the other individual. The act of humility is about our place before our Heavenly Father and remembering who we have been created to be and carrying out a humble spirit, a humble mind, and a humble heart so that we can be that example of a drink of cold water to a people in a desert. May we be that people.